going to die. Her brain recited calmly, I'm going to be stabbed until I am died. How infuriating. I have so much left to do. Claire Legrand, the Cavendish home for boys and girls. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie, and today I'm joined by Cameron Chaney, whom you may know from his YouTube channel, his book Autumn Crow, and from his appearance on our Young Adult Horror episode. So, Cameron, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me back. Of course. Well, I had so much fun when we did our young adult episode, and I think you even mentioned, like, hey, if you ever want to talk about middle grade, like, I'd be happy to be back. And yeah, here we are. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a really fun episode, the YA one. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very, very happy to be back. So, uh, lots changed since last time. You wrote a book. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking about that. I didn't realize how long it's been, but... Yeah, the the book came out, so that was a thing that happened. Um, I have a story in a couple of anthologies now. Um, the YouTube thing is going really well, so yeah, quite a bit has changed, fortunately. Nice. So tell us about your book. Autumn Crow. It is a short story collection, and uh, each of the stories takes place in this town called Autumn Crow Valley. So in this town, it is like Halloween all the time. Uh, everybody, cel- they go all out, you know, celebrating Halloween. And it's not just during the Halloween season, it's year round. Um, and a lot of very strange and spooky things happen there. So it is basically my dream town. Um, so I uh, yeah, put that book out in October and there may or may not be a few more uh, Autumn Crow stories in the works as we speak. Oh, exciting. Yeah. I know, right? And what, yeah. So what you said you had your story in anthologies, which ones? Yeah, well, there's uh, Other Voices, Other Tombs, which is... Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Right, an anthology from Cemetery Gates Media. And uh, my story in that is called The Switch, which is like a horror version of The Parent Trap. I actually got my inspiration for that from Books in the Freezer. Uh, I forget who was on. It was... Uh, I think it was Riley, Riley Sager. Riley Sager, yeah. Yes. He he was talking about that. And he was like, you know what? The Parent Trap is really messed up. Somebody should do a horror <laughs> version of that. And I'm like, oh, I volunteer as tribute. So I wrote it and immediately got published in that anthology. So that worked out really well. And then um, also I have another story called At the End of the Rope, which is going to be in an upcoming anthology called Local Haunts. And that is edited by R. St. Clair. She has a YouTube channel of her own where she reviews horror books and whatnot. Uh, so my story is going to be featured in that in August, I believe. Oh, that's cool. So are those all like themed to where each person lives? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Local Haunts, it's uh, each author who is submitting a story. They write a story based off of something that happened in their town or some kind of legend. Um, of course, Mine is very loosely based off of a local legend that I may or may not have accidentally started at my elementary school (laughs) when I was a kid. Um, But it still became a legend all the same. It just kind of spread throughout the school like a disease. 
Nice. Yeah, so I wrote a story based off of that, uh, but then I decided I'm going to base the story in Autumn Crow since I had so many requests to write more Autumn Crow stories. Oh, very cool. Thank you. So I know you do have an affinity for middle grade stories. Absolutely. And for people, I guess, that are newer, what would you say the age range is and like, how would you like pitch it as a genre or as a grouping? Well, I would say the age range is generally like 8 to 12 years old. Uh, I have seen certain middle grade books kind of reach a little bit higher, like into the middle school uh, years. So like, uh, I don't know, 13, 14 year olds. But by then, most kids are reading YA. Um, So yeah, I'd say generally it's about 8 to 12 years old. Uh, Like you have like the Percy Jackson series. Um, I would say Harry Potter kind of started out as a middle grade thing and then went more into YA as he got older. Um, And then, of course, there's, you know, Goosebumps, which I would say is kind of like the uh, pinnacle of middle grade, especially middle grade horror. Like that's what I grew up reading. And Mm -hmm. it was, you know, I would yeah, generally say it's about 8 to 12 years old is the most appropriate age. Has that always been called middle grade or is that a new thing? Because, like, young adult, I feel like, used to just be teen. Like, there was a teen section in the library that had, like, Sweet Valley High. Yeah, Sweet Valley High. Oh, boy. Um, oh, good good times. Um, middle grade, I believe it's always been called middle grade. Um, at least ever since I can remember it has been, which, you know, I was a kid in the 90s, and it was middle mm-hmm. grade then. Um, so don't quote me on that, but I, I believe it has always been referred to it as that. So you work in a library. Yes, I do. (laughs) So have you had a lot of kids ask you for specific horror recommendations? Yes, I have. (laughs) Every day. Every single day. So much so that we finally had to make a scary shelf on the bookmobile. Uh, So we had so many requests and kids are like, where are the scary books? So we're like, you know what, let's just make a scary shelf. So anything remotely scary goes on that shelf and it's very, very popular. It's hard to keep books on that Mm -hmm. shelf. That's cool. Which I am so happy to see. (laughs) Of course. Got to start them young. Oh, yeah. We were talking about Goosebumps. There was a... I was thinking about the other, like, middle grade novels that we grew up with. Goosebumps was definitely the most prevalent and the one that I remember the most. Mm -hmm. And then John Belarus, I didn't really read. I really didn't even know about his books until I was a lot older. But I know a lot of people really like John Belarus and, like, you know, the house with the clock in its walls and stuff like that did you read him i i didn't read him when i was a kid uh i i knew about him i'd seen some of his books at the library i saw certain kids um mostly like the the kind of you know weirder edgier uh nerdy kids who i used to hang out with uh they would always be reading his books and i was i always thought i needed to like i felt like i had to read his stuff but uh i wound up not reading any of his books until i'd say i was you know, 18, 19, I was a little bit older and I finally just decided to pick up a house with a clock in its walls one day and loved it. Like it's, it's really well-written stuff. I definitely want to give that a chance. So what about you? Do you have any other ones you can remember growing up with? Oh my gosh. Uh, I read so much. I read, um, a lot of books by Betty Wren Wright. She wrote a lot of ghost stories. I don't know if you ever read her, her books before mm. she wrote can't one think of them. One called um, The Dollhouse Murders, which was my favorite. Very creepy book. Um, I don't remember a whole lot about the plot specifically, um, but there was like this this dollhouse that's haunted, 
and the dolls inside may be haunted by the ghosts of these people that were murdered in the house that the girl lives in. So they're like reenacting the murders that happened in the house within the dollhouse. So it was very creepy. I also read a lot of Goosebumps knockoffs, like Shivers, Bone Chillers, uh, Dead Time Stories. Uh, there was the Spine Tinglers. You are sending me back, wow, to memories I didn't even know I had. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I I could not get enough Goosebumps. So whenever I would finish the new Goosebump book, I would go and read these other not as good knockoffs. But there are a couple of series that were actually pretty solid. Like the Shivers series, that had, that had some really creepy scenes in it. A lot of which I thought were uh, a little edgier than Goosebumps. Yeah, I can't, I could not differentiate tell you the mm-hmm. truth i remember just whatever i could find at the library just sitting down and devouring right they were so short that you could like read them in one day and you felt so accomplished <laughs> oh yeah i i wish my library would have had a scary shelf because i remember like if i couldn't find anything that didn't fit within those series i think the closest or like darkest thing i could find would be kind of darker mystery stories like I remember really being into the clue series which was just a book of like whodunits yes. <laughs> and or even when like the lighter series like babysitters club would have like the mysteries like Claudia and the phantom phone calls I'd be like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah I remember the clue series because uh, I love clue the game the board game is one of my favorites like my mm-hmm. family and I are big clue nerds and I love the movie uh, with Tim Curry, but uh, the books, yeah, I discovered those when I was younger, and uh, I believe they had like a it's like a solve it yourself kind of vibe where you could like turn the book upside mm-hmm. down and you would see the uh, outcome of the mystery. That was pretty cool. Yes, yeah, I remember sitting like on the floor in the library and like reading a chapter and really trying to figure it out, and then finally feeling like I was cheating and looking in the back, like okay. Let's see who killed Mr. Body this time. (laughs) Yeah, those were fun. Uh, The Babysitter's Club, I didn't get into those as a kid. Like, my sisters would read them. But, you know, I was young, so I'm like, ooh, those are girl books. Um, (laughs) But now that I'm older, like, I'm kind of going back, and whenever I find them at thrift stores and I'm reading them, and they're a lot of fun. And they just remind me of being a kid at that point in time where times were a little bit simpler. (laughs) Well, I actually... I actually have kind of been revisiting them because of the Babysitter's Club Club podcast. Uh, have you heard about that one? Oh, nice. I I know that there are a couple, but I haven't listened to any of them. I probably should now that I'm kind of getting into them myself. Yeah, it's like these two uh, 30-year-old guys, like they work at BuzzFeed, but they are going, they went through, like they're all done with like all of them and all the spinoff series, but they went through and would do an episode on the Babysitter's Club books. <laughs> And eventually it just went into all of these conspiracy theories and they were trying to find all these like similarities in all the books and it got into like Dune lore and like Hellraiser lore and like Dark Tower lore. Oh, and it was just wow. crazy. I have got to listen to this. <laughs> it was just a million inside jokes and they'd be like, the girls are actually all bees, you know, just <laughs> this sounds amazing. That's how you have to read this. <laughs> Oh, this is totally my bag. I have to listen to this. <laughs> I heartily recommend it. And to all listeners. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe I'll do like a read through and just kind of start the books from the very beginning and then listen to each episode as I go. That that would be a lot of fun. I, yeah, I didn't 
listen to them, I would listen to the episodes and be like, oh, yeah, I remember this one. This is the one where <laughs> Stacy has diabetes, or where we find out about Stacy's diabetes. She doesn't just have it for one book. Right. Yeah. I remember uh, watching the, uh, there was a, a TV show, Babysitter's Club. And this is probably way off topic for horror fans. <laughs> yeah, there was a TV show like back in the 90s that my sisters used to watch. And I I used to watch some of those. So, And then there was that movie from the 90s, too. Was... Mm-hmm. Also, the new new series is coming on Netflix, too. Yeah, that's right. There's the Netflix show. I'll definitely watch that. I will, too. I'm excited. Yeah. So I asked some of our Patreon supporters what their favorite middle grade novels were. And I got a few responses. So Rachel from Patreon said Lock, and that's L-O-C-H, Lock. Lock by Paul Zindel. This book kicked off my obsession with monstrous creatures of the deep. I am not familiar with that book. I that sounds am, like a lot of fun. <laughs> I loved Paul Zindel. He was awesome. Uh, he also wrote another book called The Rats. And these are all, of course, from like uh, the 90s, early 2000s. And I read The Rats in middle school, and I remember getting it from the school library and reading it in class, and I'm like, I don't feel like I should even be reading this. How did this get into the school library? It's so bloody and gory, people being eaten alive by rats. He wrote some really gnarly stuff. <laughs> it is funny to, like, when you're reading this and you're like, what age range is this for? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty yeah, dark. No, I was, I was genuinely confused. Yeah, this stuff's good. Mia from Patreon said, I actually have a few. I think there are some great middle grade horror books out there that really bring the creepy without being too traumatizing. My newer favorites are Doll Bones by Holly Black, The Cavendish Home for Boys and Girls, and any of the Tales of Terror books by Chris Priestley. When I was a kid, I loved Wait Till Helen Comes by Mary Downing Hahn. Really anything by Hahn is great. The Dollhouse Murders by Betty Renwright. Again, any of her books are great. You said that earlier. And weirdly mm-hmm. enough, Sweet Valley Twins, Super Chiller, The Carnival Ghost. Spoiler, but Elizabeth almost dies, and eight-year-old me was not ready. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an intense Sweet Valley Twins. I'll, I'll have to read that one. So one of these is actually my pick for this episode. Uh, oh. But yeah, a lot of books here. Mm-hmm. I remember Mary Downing Hahn. I feel like I've seen her books, and I just can't think of... One right Wait now. till Helen comes is one of her most famous. Um, I I remember reading that in middle school. Maybe I didn't finish it. It may have had. It may have. Uh, I may have had to return it to the library. Um, but that's one I'm going to have to go back and read. I heard that they were making that into a movie soon, but I've not heard anything else Ooh. about it in a while. Yeah. Interesting. So Mia might be happy to hear that. Well, that is really cool. I wonder if there's a Sweet Valley Twins podcast. I'm sure there is. There has to be. I'm pretty sure. There, Yeah, there's got to be. There's a podcast for everything wonderful. <laughs> every, like, look back. <laughs> look back on oh, your yes. childhood. And I'm here for it every time. Um, totally, 100%. Alexander from Patreon said, Betty Wren writes The Dollhouse Murders and The Pike River Phantom stuck with me from my childhood really any late 80s mid 90s child horror book specifically apple scholastic and camelot i also found anna to the infinite power to be chilling and scary though i think that's more sci-fi than horror lois duncan also had some good ones particularly i know what you did last summer different than the movie 
Down a Dark Hall, Summer of Fear, and Stranger with My Face. And I can't not mention Alvin Schwartz's scary stories to tell in the dark. Of course. Duh. <laughs> I loved those. I would read those just over and over and over again. Same. Um, I didn't own a copy, so I would go to the library and just sit, like I said, crisscross applesauce right in front of that <laughs> bookshelf and just like read them over and over again. Oh, there were fights that that went down in my school library over those books because there weren't very many (laughs) copies. And kids would genuinely, like, get in arguments about it, and the teacher would have to come and break it up. (laughs) She would be like, I'm just going to check it out to my card, and then everybody can share it. Everyone's like, okay. Compromise. Yeah. Uh, Lois Duncan. I know I mentioned her last episode, but, yeah, she had some good ones. She's Uh, wonderful. I know what you did last summer. I remember being very different from the movie. Very, very different. Yes. I think my favorite one was um, killing Mr. Griffin. That was my favorite too. Yes, I think it was just the most intense. I yeah, and there's also a really good '90s movie. It was a TV movie. Uh, it stars Mario Lopez. So I, I recommend tracking that down, but I think it's pretty rare. So was that the adaptation for it? Because I know they tried, they did the uh, Teaching Miss Tingle too, right? Yeah, yeah, there was that. I don't know if that was exactly a an adaptation of it, even though it was pretty similar. But no, there's an actual Killing Mr. Griffin movie that was a TV movie Ooh. in the early 90s. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who else? Caroline B. Cooney. I know her books aren't really like technically horror, but I loved the Face on the Milk Carton series. One of my favorites growing up. (laughs) You're speaking my language. Don't know what genre it is, but it was just so pulpy and like, what? Yeah, lots of shocking moments. Oh, man. Uh, Well, speaking of, we were speaking about movies earlier. Mm -hmm. What are some good kind of middle grade child friendly horror movies? Uh, Hocus Pocus, I think, is classic uh, middle grade. I mean, anybody can watch it. It doesn't matter what age you are because it's just that amazing. But yeah, I would say that was kind of an introductory for me. Um, Also, there's this movie called When Good Ghouls Go Bad. Uh, It came on, I'd say, in the early 2000s. It was an R.L. Stein TV movie. Um, a little bit goosebumpsy, uh, but it starred Christopher Lloyd. Um, he's the uncle of this kid, and he gets uh, buried to death under a big pile of pumpkins and comes back from the dead uh, to uh, kind of mentor his his nephew. Really, really cute movie. I think that's another one that's a little bit hard to find, though. Did you ever see that one? No. I was going to say the Scooby-Doo movies. Did you ever watch those? Of course. (laughs) I love, my favorites are Scooby-Doo and the Ghoul School and Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. Oh, yeah, those ones are great. Did you ever watch um, Zombie Island, Scooby-Doo and Zombie Island? I think so. I've watched so many of them, and especially, like, my son has just kind of been discovering them and is really into Mm Scooby-Doo. So I've watched a lot of, like, the newer, like, I watched, like, a Bobby Flay one. (laughs) Really? He was a character. He and uh, Giada. <laughs> I don't remember this one. <laughs> no, this one's very recent. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I've never seen this one. Yep, there was like some kind of a like cooking competition. I don't know. I'm just saying there's all kinds of Scooby-Doo movies. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> okay, so when I was Googling this, I Googled like family-friendly horror movies. And you know what came up? What? hereditary and the witch 
That's I like, would disagree. <laughs> just a little bit. Like, I mean, my my son is five, and I, I just wouldn't feel comfortable. I think maybe Google thought I was talking about, like, movies that centered around a family, which I was not. Uh, right. But, it, like, <laughs> it says, I'll have to send you the screenshot. It just says, like, family-friendly horror movies. And, like, those are the first two that come up. And I'm like, no. No. Pro- probably not. I mean, it depends on, like, what your kid's been exposed to. Like, if he, if the kid grew up in a very crazy family, then maybe it would be just fine. But <laughs> I don't know. I, as an, a, an adult woman, was shooketh by both of those. So yes, I can't imagine what a child would think. Yeah, those are intense movies. Um, yeah, my son and I have been going through the old Goosebumps series. And, like, there's a few episodes that are too intense for him. And we have to change and find different episodes. Um, mm-hmm. Like his favorite one is the piano one. Piano lessons can be murder. That's it. I was like, it's not piano hands. It has a yeah. <laughs> That's a the book title. cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a fun one. That one he likes like Night and Terror Tower. The one that scared him was maybe you can tell me which one it is. It's the one where like there's a brother and sister because of course it's always a brother and sister. Of course. And they're like on vacation in Europe and they're like in a museum or like taking a tour. That kind of sounds like a night in terror tower. You know what? That might be it. I was thinking a night in terror tower was the one where like the two kids went to like their local like haunted house and would take tours and play pranks and they got kicked out and like snuck in. That's the headless ghost. That's it. Okay. You're right. (laughs) I know my goosebumps. <laughs> I spent so many hours of my life watching that show. <laughs> Way too many hours. <laughs> I knew if anyone knew, you would know. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your local bookstore. It's super easy. I went on there, I found my local bookstore, Riverstone Books. And it lets you choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers. And if you're having trouble deciding what to read, don't worry, I got you covered. There is a Books in the Freezer playlist on there where I have curated a list of some audiobooks that we have recommended on the show in case you are looking for something to read, something freezer worthy. So check it out. I will link it in the show notes for this episode. And listeners of Books in the Freezer can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Just go to Libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code FREEZERBOOK. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Thank you, Libro.fm. Well, should we talk about some books? Let's do it. First off, well, I started with a classic, I think, last time I did like a Lois Duncan book. So I'm doing a classic for my first one here. So I picked The Thief of Always by Clive Barker. And this was my first time reading this. Uh, It has a really great opening line. It's like, the gray beast February had eaten Harvey Swick alive. And this is about a boy named Harvey who is bored because it's winter. But then an opportunity presents itself in the form of a creature who takes him to Holiday House where every day is super fun and like 
there's Halloween every day and Christmas comes every night and there's nothing but good times to be had. Or, you know, at least it seems that way. And this was a ton of fun. I don't want to give away too much because it's a pretty short book. Uh, But Clive Barker, not usually someone you would associate with uh, child-friendly books, but this was delightful. Um, I will say room temperature, but I thought this was a clever story with a palpable sense of mischief. And I know you've read this. I have, and I love it. This was one I had been meaning to get to, and I'm really glad I finally decided to pick it up. I'm glad you did, too. Everybody needs to read this book, I think. Yeah, I can't wait to read it with my son. So that was The Thief of Always by Clive Barker. Awesome. The first book that I picked out is a newer release. It is called uh, The Owls Have Come to Take Us Away. This is by Roland L. Smith. And it follows a 12-year-old named Simon who is obsessed with aliens. Uh, His dad gave him a copy of Communion by Whitley Stryber. And he read that book, and ever since then, he's just been terrified and obsessed with aliens. And they actually live on a military base, so he and his parents live on this base. And I thought this was really refreshing, because I've never read a book where the family lives on a military base. I just thought that was really cool. Uh, But anyway, one day he is out camping with with his family, and he goes into the woods and sees an owl, and it attacks him. And he blacks out and immediately he starts to suspect that he was actually abducted by aliens because he has like this scoop mark, as as he calls it, in his stomach where it looked like somebody had scooped out some skin. And he believes that when you see an alien, uh, they actually like disguise themselves as an animal, like an owl. Um, So he genuinely believes he was abducted and his parents begin to think that he's just crazy um, because he's becoming more and more paranoid. So his parents even go as far as to uh, get him therapy and put him on medication, which leaves him like nauseous and without energy. So it's not afraid to get a little bit uh, deeper and dark, um, especially when it comes to like mental illness. So I was pretty surprised about that. There are even like some mild curse words scattered throughout, which took me by surprise as well. But yeah, this was a very creepy book. It had a, a, a sense of dread and paranoia about it. Um, yeah, it got got pretty spooky for uh, for a middle grade book. I would say I'd still say it's room temperature for someone like me, but for kids, I would put it in the fridge for sure. Also, owls are just creepy in general. They do have kind of a creepiness about them. I have been scared of owls ever since <laughs> I I watched this movie called The Fourth Kind uh, when I was a kid, and it was an alien movie. Uh, but yeah, the aliens kind of appear as owls, and just the owl just looking in the window with its big eyes just creeped me out. <laughs> so this book Wait. kind of fed off of that fear a little bit. So is this a thing? Like, is this a part of alien lore that they disguise themselves as owls? Like, I thought that was just for this book. But no, this, it really like is. Like a recurring... Is it? Yeah. So it get, I can tell Roland L. Smith definitely did his research when it comes to alien lore because there's a lot of it in here. I learned some stuff for sure. I am not familiar with a lot of alien lore. But it's funny because I am doing an, a light X-Files rewatch. So this might pair well with that. I think it would for sure. Also, that's one of my favorite shows. It's just so cozy. It is. It's a good it's a good show to watch when you're in panic quarantine mode. So my next pick is The Cavendish Home for Boys and Girls by Claire Legrand. 
And this is about a girl named Victoria. She is a perfectionist. She has no time for nonsense. She works hard at school and at excelling at everything she does. Her best friend Lawrence is the complete opposite. He's a dreamer. He can be maybe a little lazy and prefers to focus on his piano and music. But one day Lawrence goes missing and no one seems worried about it. And his parents just seemed really relaxed about the whole thing when she goes to ask about his whereabouts. And she's noticed that he's not the only kid that's gone missing. There's been children that have disappeared and she thinks it's kind of a school up on the hill called the Cavendish Home for Boys and Girls that might have something to do with it. Um, it's run by the mysterious Mrs. Cavendish. And just something about it is not sitting right with Victoria, but she just seems to be hitting a lot of dead ends with all the adults in the area. And I thought this had a really good movie comparison, but I don't know if that would be spoilery. <laughs> to say it reminded me a lot of disturbing behavior. Um, Yeah, so I thought it touched on the idea of expectations and what we expect out of children and expecting them, accepting them for who they are. Because I think a successful kind of children's book will help a kid like be seen in the book and also kind of address some of their anxieties. And I thought this did a good job of that. I would say it's room temperature. There are some creepy moments, especially at the end of this book, but I would really recommend it. Like I had a really good time with this. And that is The Cavendish Home for Boys and Girls by Claire Legrand. I have seen the cover of this, but I wasn't even aware that it was kind of a spooky book. I thought it was maybe more fantasy. Yeah, it's got like a very like, yeah, kind of gothic-y look it's, to it. It sounds awesome. Also, you mentioned Disturbing Behavior, which I haven't seen that movie in years. <laughs> I actually watched it for the first time like a few months ago because it was on Hulu. And I'm like, you know what? This has slipped past me. I need to. I need to get to this. What'd you think? I liked it. I mean, it's it's kind of in that like 90s teen ensemble right. horror movies, but it was a lot of fun. Also, James Marston has not aged, but... No, he hasn't. He looks exactly the same. <laughs> I know I was looking at this. I'm like, how many years ago was this? Because this is basically just what he looks like now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) My next pick is actually a a series of books. It's called the Fright Vision series by Culliver Krantz. And this is a brand new series. It just came out like last year. Uh, It's kind of in vain of Goosebumps, but it has a Stranger Things twist. So um, yeah, the premise is like there's this secret government experiment that is putting kids in scary situations to see how they'll react. Um, so there are seven books in the series so far. I've only read five of them, uh, but each one is its own contained story written by a different author, but the cursed coin books serve to tie them all together. So it kind of builds one big universe out of the series. Uh, so there are a few books that I wasn't crazy about, um, but there was a really big standout for me. And that one was called hashtag graveyard challenge. And this is the fifth book in the series. This is about a girl named Kina who has dared to participate in the Graveyard Challenge while at a slumber party. And this means that she has to go into the cemetery after midnight by herself and take a selfie with a tombstone. So she does it, but her selfie captures an eerie presence in the background that is getting closer and closer to her with each photo that she takes. I know, very, very spooky premise there. Uh, Well, soon her hair begins to fall out and her fingernails begin to fall off and her life seems to be fading as this spirit, whatever it is, is feeding off of her. So she must put a a stop to this before her life is completely drained. 
so this had a really creepy concept, um, a lot creepier than I was expecting, so it kind of took me off guard. Um, there's also a lot of really fun dialogue between her and her friends. Everybody's kind of sassy, so there's a lot of, there's kind of like a, a mean girls, uh, feel to some of the dialogue. Also, um, some emotional stakes, uh, because, uh, Kina is dealing with the loss of her mother, and that kind of ties in to the end of the book. It gave it a lot of heart. So yeah, this would definitely be my favorite in the series, but there was another one called Framed for Life that was a really good one as well. Uh, overall, I would say, you know, room temperature for the books, but there are a couple of books that are spookier and darker than others. Nice. Yeah, that sounds creepy. It's got like a It Follows type of vibe. Yeah, a little bit. So my last pick is The Spirit Hunters by Ellen O. And this is about a girl named Harper. She's in seventh grade and she is not happy that her family has moved from New York to Washington, D.C., their house is super old and super creepy and the girl down the street says that it's probably haunted uh, her brother starts acting really weird and says that he's playing with his new friend billy that used to live here which like if you watch a lot of horror movies you should know sign number one bad news and a lot of the things seem oddly familiar to Harper, but there's so much she can't remember. Uh, a big thing in the book is that there was a fire at her old school and everyone kind of assumes it was her fault and she doesn't really remember much, but she knows that it wasn't her fault. And so she's having a hard time kind of recovering those memories and so that's something that she is dealing with throughout the book. And also with her little brother's new imaginary friend, Billy, that apparently used to live here and everyone just seems okay with. I really enjoyed this. This had a lot of good horror sequences. It did have some kind of spooky moments of peril that I really liked. And I thought this also dealt with the anxiety of like adults not believing you. I thought it had a very good buildup and it has a sequel. I can't think of what it is called right now, uh, but I will have it in the show notes. I would say this was room temperature, but like I said, it did have a few creepier moments um, that might have some kids putting it in the fridge, but I would say it was room temperature. And that was The Spirit Hunters by Ellen O. Nice. I haven't read this one yet, but it is sitting on my bookshelf. I'm looking at it right now and it's like... <laughs> Why haven't you read me yet? This was one that I think came recommended a lot. Like when you say like, what's like a good modern middle grade horror book? This is what a lot of people said. I'll have to check that out soon. All right. Well, my next pick is another series, uh, but I've only read the first book. So this is the Last Apprentice series, which is also known as the Spooks Apprentice in the UK. And the first book is called Revenge of the Witch by Joseph Delaney. Uh, so this is, like I said, a long series of books. Uh, there's like 12 in the series now, and also a spinoff. Uh, but this is about a young boy named Tom, who is the seventh son of a seventh son. And he is handed over to a man named John Gregory. He is known as the spook in town. So he teaches Tom uh, how to vanquish ghosts, witches, bogarts, and other monsters as they fight against the dark. Uh, so this book is super creepy. Uh, I remember seeing it on the bookshelf or on the uh, bookstore shelves as a kid and seeing the illustrations and just being like, is this also, this is, is this really for kids? Because it, there is some really, really creepy, grotesque illustrations in these books. They kind of remind me of scary stories to tell in the dark in that way. 
but yeah, just the scary, just the scary illustrations alone are enough to make me want to read the entire series now. Uh, but like I said, I've only read the first book. But anyway, there were scenes in this that creeped me out. Like there's this scene where Tom is alone in a dark room and there's something in this room with him, but he can't see it. And it had me kind of looking over my shoulder a little bit. I would put this in the fridge, just like not even, not even just for kids, like for me who has read a ton of horror books, I'd still place this in the fridge. Ooh. So very, very good. That is The Last Apprentice, Revenge of the Witch by Joseph Delaney. All right. Now for some chilling obsessions. What have you been enjoying? Uh, there is actually a podcast, a brand new podcast that I've been listening to. Um, it is called Bite Sized Frights. And this is produced by Pixel Elixir, which is a company that specializes in horror pins. I'm a big horror enamel pin nerd, <laughs> so I've bought pins from them a bunch of times, but now they're in the podcast business, I guess. Uh, so this is like a horror true crime podcast that focuses on weird and freaky occurrences, and they do deep dives into these events as well as history and urban legends and speculation revolving around these uh, legends and myths. Uh, there's a lot of very spooky music and sound effects that go along with it, and the narrator has this very gruff uh, British accent, which is amazing. I could listen to him all day. <laughs> um, so I listened to the first episode and it immediately like captured my attention. And it was about the disappearance and death of Elisa Lamb. And that has always really creeped me out. Um, so to, to get to hear the podcast about it and to go a little bit deeper than my knowledge had gone before really creeped me out. So this can be found on their website, which is bitesizedfrights.com and on YouTube. But I don't think it's on... Uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything like that just yet. So I might have to go out of my way to get it. But that sounds really interesting. Yeah, it was really good. I highly recommend it. Nice. So mine is the What We Do in the Shadows TV show. Yes. <laughs> I was so excited about it when it came out, but I don't have cable. Um, so I was like waiting for it to come to a streaming service. And then it finally came to Hulu. So I finally got to watch it and I'm so happy. I'm definitely not disappointed at all. It is so great. So, um, so this is an FX show and it's produced by uh, kind of the team that did the original film. So like Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. Um, we follow a group of vampires in Staten Island and their familiar Guillermo. And <laughs> I love Guillermo. He's a familiar and like most familiars, he dreams about eventually becoming a vampire. He's promised that he is going to be turned eventually, which is kind of a return theme from the movie. Uh, I love that his inspiration was Armand from Interview with the Vampire. <laughs> he's like, as a as a Latino man, like it was just great to see myself represented as a vampire because <laughs> it's something I wanted to be. <laughs> they get into trouble like there's an episode where an older vampire tells them that they definitely within the last couple hundred years should have expanded their reach past just the street where they live <laughs> and there's colin who people might recognize as nate from the office uh but he he has this great bit where he's an energy vampire so 
he sucks the energy out of people with dull chit chat and you just see him at his like day job going from cubicle to cubicle with like stupid dad jokes or like <laughs> dumb like hey working hard or hardly working and people just like are just keeling over because he is boring them we all know somebody like that too <laughs> i just like he looks at the camera he's like we're actually the most common type of vampire you probably know an energy vampire it's so good oh man it's a great show i just 100 percent recommend it it like every episode has me laughing out loud absolutely at some point um and i'm still catching up on season two which i, I think it's actually still airing so i am watching it as it goes uh but that is the what we do in the shadows television show it's an fx show but i'm watching it on hulu yeah, that one is amazing. I I haven't seen season two yet, but I did watch season one uh, and also the movie, and it's just perfect. Like just <laughs> the just a joyful joyful experience. Yeah, it's just so good. I didn't even get into like everything that's funny about it. That's just there's so much. <laughs> Creepy paper. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just called crepe paper. Creepy paper. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me oh, for this episode, for Cameron. Me. This was fun. It was so much fun. I would love to come back on again if you'll have me. Oh, for sure. So where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me just about anywhere. I am on Twitter and Instagram at BookMovieGuy. You can also find me on Facebook at Library Macabre Books. Uh, I do a lot of... Um, vintage book cover scans over there with my friend david dodd we're both collectors so we'll do high resolution scans of those like pulpy paperbacks from hell kind of books so it's there's there's a lot of fun to be had over there on the facebook page and then you can also find me on youtube uh, just under my name cameron cheney or you can search library macabre all right will do and thank you so much for coming on again thanks again also wanted to add a book that fits this episode's theme that will be coming out soon to keep on your radar uh, that was mentioned on the Daniel Krause episode is his new Teddy's Saga series that's starting out with They Throw Us Away. And if you listen to the episode, you'll remember that he described it as kind of like a dark toy story. And that is going to be coming out September 15th, 2020. So if you are interested in that, or if you have a middle grade reader in your life, keep your eyes out for that. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast that posts episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at BooksFreezerPod, on Instagram at BooksInTheFreezer, Facebook at Facebook.com slash BooksInTheFreezer. We also have a Books in the Freezer group that you can join. You can send us an email at BooksInTheFreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at BooksInTheFreezer.com. And we are on Patreon at BooksInTheFreezer. That, of course, is one way to support the show. You can also support the show by using the Amazon link just for whatever purchases you would normally do on Amazon. Just click the Books in the Freezer link first. That will be provided in the show notes. A cool thing that someone recently purchased using the affiliate link was an Owen 100% vegan plant-based protein shake in a dark chocolate flavor. 
And that sounds delicious. Hope you enjoyed that, whoever you were. And there are plenty of ways to support us without spending any money, of course. Word of mouth is very important to indie shows like this. So just spreading the word. Tell your friends about it. Post about it on social media. It all adds up and it all helps a ton. Also leaving a rating on a podcast app like Apple Podcasts or, you know, on Apple Podcasts. Preferably five stars, but you do you. Just all of that helps the show move up in the ratings, helps the show get more visibility. And a big thank you to all of you who have already done that. Uh, I very much appreciate it. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya, at Instagram at That's What She Ride, that's with two A's, or on YouTube at That's What She Ride. And join us next time for Books in the Freezer. <laughs>